Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode, or set of episodes, where we're recording three in a row, as per usual now, of The Morality of Everyday Things, a podcast by two friends slash business partners slash male models. That last, <laughs> you know, one of those things isn't true. Have a guess. Guess which. <laughs> All about everyday philosophy. And recently, we've been following a kind of series arc where we do a few in a row. Today's is going to be, or this few weeks, is going to be on the topic of legalizing things, or by implication, making things illegal as well. Yeah. So I'm Jacob. I'm Anthony. And as described, this series, we're going to look at legalizing a few different, well, I don't know what you'd call them. Pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you have some contentious vices of sorts. Uh, vices might implies also be a strong implies, word, right? Yeah, it implies yeah. A, a negative connotation. It's very hard to say this yes. in a non-judgmental way. I uh, know. We'll, we'll, we'll come to it. We'll discuss it. So the three that we're looking at are three classics, sex, drugs, and... Rock and roll, baby. <laughs> gambling. <laughs> uh, There's nothing wrong with rock and roll. It's just, yeah, no. is there a moral component to it? It uh, probably was in the 60s. It was kind of a music style that was kind of nicked from uh, blues. Mm. So really, it's just another case of white people appropriating uh, yeah, the <laughs> cultural theft. And as always, thanks to everyone who listens. Do please leave a review on your podcast player of choice, Apple or Spotify, or another one if they have a review functionality <laughs> in it. We have a Patreon if you'd like to support the show. It really helps us keep going and build a momentum and traction here. Really exciting to see just the, the graphs going up. Yeah. Probably less exciting for you. You're just focused on, uh, on listening. <laughs> but it's true. And you can also subscribe to hear when new episodes are out. You can follow on Spotify. You can also... Mm. Um, get our mailing list as well yep. so. also feel free to email us anthony at stasher a-n-t-h-o-n-y at stasher.com jacob at stasher.com as well yeah we love to hear from you guys it's always great to get listener feedback and any input on what you'd like in your next shows so on um, to today's show uh, I think the first thing we're going to do is, and this is an intro that's going to apply to all three episodes, we'll mention at the beginning of each episode that we recommend listening to them sequentially. But I think the first thing to talk about, if we're talking about illegalizing things, before going into the specifics of any topic, we want to kind of discuss why do we make anything illegal at all? It's a good question. And it, it seems to me it breaks down into two components. So you've got, on the one hand, a kind of policy perspective. Mm. What is the utility or efficacy Mm. of introducing this law i would specifically say i think when jake said policy there he was talking more from the connotation of you know when we think of modern policy advisors mm. in western democracies it's kind of taken as a given that approaches generally should be apolitical slash amoral right so when you so for yeah. example when you hire civil servants um th it's not that they're not allowed to be politically active but their engagement in their job is neutral it should be considered neutral and largely it's understanding that like okay we're doing something for the betterment of this country and and also a lot of stuff is just not that politically contentious like mm. making sure that roads get built and making Schools sure get better yeah like you know making sure that pensions are being handled and paid like a lot of it's yeah. not politically contentious when it's interesting said, that you specify amoral though right because that's yeah. the in terms of why you make anything illegal people would probably argue there are two strands there. And then when I say policy, you're right. It's basically just like you're introducing laws to optimize to outcomes. Yes. But then there's also a moral component of why maybe make things illegal. For example, murder is illegal fairly uncontentiously. Because yes. Well, murder is an interesting one because I think it's, it's fair to assume that having murder illegal is probably a net good yeah. like if you know telling people you shouldn't murder probably does reduce the murder rate saying that there are consequences to that uh, maybe one that's that's a little clearer of the moralism versus policy outcomes is abortion right mm. uh, so i think for you know if you take for example abortion in the us the approach that a lot of people will have on the left and the right will actually be something along the lines of even if the policy arguments or or data arguments are in my favor that doesn't actually matter mm. the reason i'm saying this should be illegal or illegal is more a function of you know, this is something that people should or shouldn't be able to do. It's, a it's right or wrong. It's a values yeah. approach, right? There is no amount of data. So actually, here's a really good example. The guys who wrote for economics very famously did a study where they attributed 50% of the, roughly 50% 
of the reduction in crime between like the 60s and the 90s to the introduction of uh, Roe v. Wade and the increase in abortions. And basically they had to like strip out some confounding factors. But the main thing was that they managed to find a set of people that they could kind of validate as quote unquote unwanted children, Mm -hmm. children that were uh, like being brought up in inhospitable environments and otherwise, you know, were not parents who weren't prepared or, or ready or wanted these children. And these are people who are significantly more likely to go in and commit crimes in their teens to, to early 20s. So they found this drop. And it's funny because, you know, you could see that as an argument in favor. You could perhaps use that as an argument either way. How would really? you use it in the reverse? No, you're right. I don't know how you use it in the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> but the point, is, the point is that they very interestingly said, like, look, we're economists. We're just looking at this like we found two numbers that seem to be linked. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they were getting it from both sides. Because for the, was interestingly, he was saying that there were more death threats from the liberal people. And I suppose it's because there's this kind of like, first How of all, come? Yeah. well, largely there are racial dimensions here, mm-hmm. right? If you think about the US, because that, that also like heavily overlaps with, with certain like Low, death, yeah. racial groups, particularly those who also overlap with lower socioeconomic um, standards of living. And it also kind of bends their argument because they're kind of saying the reason we're saying this should be legal is because of freedom of choice. And you're kind of making our argument sound like we're saying we should murder people to reduce crime. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So you're, you're, I see. It, it, you're turning it into like a weirdly eugenic sounding thing. Yeah. And that's not our point, which is funny. It's literally evidence supporting them from a policy perspective saying like, you know, oh, this does have good outcomes. Mm. <laughs> it's just they don't like the, the mechanisms, like from a value perspective, a moral perspective, we're uncomfortable. And then the other side, you know, they're, they're saying we don't want people to be murdered. They're uncomfortable because it's like, we don't want you to provide evidence that murdering what we think is murdering people, you know, killing fetuses, is having positive outcomes in the long run, especially when there's actually that overlap where like, you know, generally it's Republicans, right side mm. of the spectrum. They're the ones who both don't want abortion, but also want crime to go down. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, damn it, don't tell me the best way to achieve my other aim is to give up <laughs> on this one. So it was, it was such a funny, but sorry, the point there is that, yeah. You're just drawing the distinction between yeah. the sort of policy approach and the moral approach. Yeah, policy approach is literally like, what are the outcomes we care about? Let's measure them. Yeah. Uh, and moralistic or values approach is like, hey, what do we value as a society? Some things maybe just shouldn't be allowed from that perspective. And that's, that raises an interesting question in general, because yes. uh, then you come to the yeah, question of the one step of government. Up, right? Right? Which one, is, one step up is, yeah, the, the, you have the should, should government decide things based on policy or on moral values. The step above that is, what is government trying to achieve? Exactly. Does government have a place to instill moral values? Mm. I, I suppose there's a, there's a liberal perspective that says sort of no, right? It's interesting. A I, mix. Yeah, it is a mix, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I can see both. So I think generally, the, I mean, okay, we'll take the kind of extremes because they're easy to understand. You, on the one hand, you have a, a somewhat authoritarian government where like the point of the government is actually, yes, to instill values and things. And Particularly then it, when there's a religious component to yes, the government, right? Yes, exactly. Very typical in religious uh, governments or, or in some cases fascist governments where they will also use religion as a vehicle to justify this in that sort of government like it, of course it makes sense to, to make things illegal because the whole point is that you're trying to instill certain values mm. uh, and so banning certain things is completely coherent on the other hand you have like libertarians who i mean in the most extreme sense or, or actually the most extreme would be anarchists <laughs> where like government basically shouldn't exist or should basically just be simple skeleton to manage infrastructure maybe maybe yeah, none at all provision of some public yeah. goods or, or actually i guess an anarchist strictly would be like that shouldn't even exist it should just be local communities sorting that shit mm-hmm. but yeah i mean the more realistic one is libertarians are like i want the minimum infrastructure possible as a government to fulfill my needs Mm -hmm. Uh, and anything beyond that is is superfluous and you are getting in the way of my life (laughs) (laughs) there's kind of an implication of which way you think that should go and for a lot of people whether that means that value or moralistic approaches should be ruled out or not it's a a highly correlated but slightly different scale Mm. right so some people will say like okay government should stay out of 
should largely stay out of people's lives, but there are some things that we as a, as a society or culture should or shouldn't accept. I think that that strand probably exists, but it's narrow. So let's bring this back on topic. The question we're going to look at specifically today is, should we legalize recreational drugs? Why did you specify recreational? recreational? Well, because medical drugs are largely legal. Okay, yeah, fine. I and suppose. also, and I suppose we're talking the, about drugs that are yeah, yeah. for pleasure. Yes, and I suppose the other distinction is like it's not necessarily different drugs, but I'm thinking of, for example, performance enhancers, mm. where like actually you may not want them to be used for a professional well, we'll or, that, or or yeah. for a cheating. So it's like imagine we'll have a if, brief section on that later. Yeah, actually. I really well. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking, for example, say Adderall was made completely publicly legal, and then say a company who, for example, had lots of warehouse workers who needed to focus a lot, mm. was then pressuring people to use it or, mm-hmm. or, or mandating that people used it, right? That's outside of the scope of recreational. We're, so we're, we're assuming that this is in the context of, I just want to do it. So like <laughs> me saying, I want to take steroids just because mm-hmm. is very different to me because I work at Amazon Warehouse being told, mm-hmm. you must take them in order to be a better box mover. <laughs> yeah, or, or even you as a sort of semi-professional cyclist aspiring to yeah. Yeah, compete yeah, yeah. at higher levels, for example. Yeah. Today, we're going to look at drugs. In the next episode, we're going to look at sex work. The episode after that, we're going to look at gambling, which is an interesting one because actually gambling is largely legal, mm. uh, although that's not always the case. There's, uh, I know US, yeah. it's not, and a lot of the Middle East, but then there's kind of a religious component yeah. there. Sports betting has only really recently come in in the US and a lot of states anyway. So yeah, that yeah. was an interesting sort of context for us to yeah. look at that question. I think one really interesting thing that we were discussing just before filming or recording, I suppose, was looking at these three One thing that we kind of found really interesting about the drugs versus sex and gambling arguments is that generally when we think about sex and gambling, a lot of the approaches to legalizing it, it's generally a kind of utilitarian policy-based approach, like Mm -hmm. outcomes are better. And really you're thinking about like victim protection. Yeah. Right. So in the case of sex, it tends to be, it's not like, man, people would get way better prostitutes if we made it legal. <laughs> <laughs> it tends to be, it tends to be arguments around protecting sex workers, right? Uh, yeah. Making sure that they're not in exploited situations, making sure that they have better health outcomes, both physical and mental. Yeah. Right? And then optimizing in, to a safety. Outcome, exactly. As opposed to quality. <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, hey, if you live, you could also make an argument around that, I guess, but we'll come to that in the, in the episode. Gambling. Again, I think the key concern tends to be around conception of uh, victim protection protection mm. right so, so to be fair there's a there's a policy objective around optimizing to financial outcomes as in the amount that sort of gambling is taxed and funds things uh, yeah it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a ridiculously large revenue that's true source. Uh, actually this will sound crazy to americans but there's state-sponsored gambling here the yeah. national lottery is a huge funder of charities yeah and it's a big debate in america because there are some states that permit it as well as a, mm. as a means of sort of funding public infrastructure yeah. but people get really uncomfortable about yeah it yeah they do stuff like lotteries and that right yeah so i think like okay sports betting is slightly but i mean it's all shades of the same thing right it is, it's all yeah. stuff with sub-zero expected returns you're doing it for fun but yeah i think when we think about gambling in a moral like legalizing illegalizing sense to be fair there's often a religious dimension i'm not really sure about christianity and gambling but certainly in the context of the middle east mm. it's a it's a huge religious perspective like element that's saying it shouldn't happen mm. um but yeah really when we're talking about it in the west it tends to be more about harm reduction we'll come to this in the episode but honestly like I, my opinions on it are very mixed and muddied but my overall thing is that like when you think about gambling gambling most people don't realize or think about it enough like as someone who runs a business the gambling businesses rely rely on people ruining their lives 
or people spending way too much. They need their power users. That's it. And the phrase, the key phrase you just used that was power users. I mean, you see that in a lot of business dynamics where you've got one subset of users who actually generate a significant amount yeah. of it's, the revenue. It, it's and the 80-20 rule. Exactly that. The 80-20 yeah. rule. And that creates a really perverse incentive to encourage yeah. behavior at that yeah. end of the user base. And exactly. Exactly. And causing problems. So for anyone who doesn't know the 80-20 rule, it just refers to the fact that like naturally a lot of things in life follow power law distributions. Yeah. Exponential curves. Yeah. Exponential curves. So it's the same with, for example, the sizes of cities, right? It tends to be that 80% of your population is in the top 20% or is in like concentrated in 20% of your geography, if not more, mm. uh, if not less, sorry. In this case, in business, it tends to be that 20% of your top users generate about 80% of your revenue. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So that's, uh, yeah, we'll look at sex, we'll look at gambling in the following episodes. But what's interesting about drugs when it comes to like, what are the outcomes that you'd be looking at is it seems to be more multifaceted. Mm. So you're looking at protecting the users of drugs who yep. are victims. But which is also, the part that's similar to the sex and which, gambling. Which is the victim part protection. Victim protection. But you're also looking at, there's a potential for the creation of criminals there. Yep. And, and, and you're looking at preventing that as well. And then yes. you're looking at a whole infrastructure behind the drugs economy that's completely criminal. Yeah. Partly, uh, well, yep. almost entirely as a result of the way that things have been sort of regulated and laws have been enforced in the past. Yeah. So you're looking at how you can protect harm in that industry and, and prevent that yep. from sort of extrapolating into yep. sort of worse situations. And then you're looking at the harm that people on drugs do to other people. So there's there's layers and layers of harm. Layers to this. To, to, yeah. I think, yeah. I think the point that we're making there is basically, say, for example, I gave the example with abortion earlier. When people are, you know, in the, in the 80s and 90s in the US, for example, were panicking about crime. No one was saying, what can we do about illegal gambling to reduce yeah. crime? There's a little bit more, but like illegal sex work, the harms tend to be concentrated in, in what is already a kind of like socially excluded group of people, mm-hmm. which is the actual sex workers. So it's not really an effective way to reduce overall crime. Whereas drugs, you know, is very much on there. And, and, and you know, alongside the abortion data, one of the other things that that specific study from the guys who wrote for economics, uh, Stephen mm. Levitt and, and another guy, I can't remember his name, sorry. They attributed several things. And one of the things was just the, not demise, but the, the reduction or fall off the peak of the uh, crack cocaine epidemic. Mm. So drugs had, or the drug trade, had a big impact on it. Yeah, it was definitely it, it's, fueling it. But it's, it's not that they were necessarily saying, oh, like, should we legalize it, legalize it? They, they didn't change their drug policy much, as far as I know. If anything, they got harder on it. Cool. Well, guys, that's been a pretty long introduction, but we will crack straight on with this drugs episode in particular. And just to give you a flavor of the way that we're going to approach this episode and the future two episodes as well, there's the introduction. And keep in mind those themes. You know, why do we make things illegal? What should be the role of government in all this? How do you assess what, uh, what effective policy should be? What we'll look at is we'll introduce very quickly the current state of the law as regards drugs in this episode. We'll look at what the moral component of the argument is and then basically assess the policy. Should we legalize it? How should we go about that? Yeah. You know, what what should that look like? This might be an assumption, but I think we'll give a kind of moralistic approach relatively short shrift. Yeah. Is that the term? Short shrift? Yeah. 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 That's correct. Nice. It's uh, funny for us to say that. Short shrift. Short yeah. shrift. <laughs> short shrift. Just because I, I think within the demographics of our listener base and, you know, certainly amongst ourselves, us too, generally I would say that our approach is that government should be a policy or outcomes based mm. endeavor as opposed to instilling certain values we'll look at the values <laughs> we won't there. even think about the argument we don't like <laughs> we'll, we'll look at we'll the discuss it we'll discuss it yeah so uh, let me give you a quick whistle stop tour of the current state of the law there are controlled drugs i'll talk about the uk there's also the us we'll bring all these into consideration yeah. these stats are for the uk or a lot of these stats unless specified otherwise are for the uk but the overall picture is similar in most it western is. developed economies so 
Uh, for class A and B drugs, those are the ones called controlled substances. For example, cocaine and ketamine, respectively. They're banned under an act called the Misuse of Drugs Act. The laws are pretty similar in the US, though marijuana is now legal in 18 states. Uh, Legalized. At time of recording. <laughs> recording. Uh, and it's decriminalized in other states too. That could probably change. Even in the UK, it potentially could change. Our mayor, Sadiq Khan, went out to the US and has actually come back. He went on the Joe Rogan podcast. He was legalized DMT. There were some great uh, great headlines around like cannabis. And, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so... You know, watch this space. But it looks like marijuana, at least, is one that's that's trending towards decriminalization. Actually, what's quite funny is in our notes, our production assistant, Martha, said, on April Fool's Day, the House of Representatives passed a bill to decriminalize marijuana across the country. I promise this isn't me being gullible. (laughs) 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 Now, when talking about drugs, there's a natural comparison that you can't not make, which is obviously there are two drugs, alcohol and then tobacco. Tobacco is not the actual drug, it's nicotine, right? Um, Well, no, no, no. Tobacco is the product. Yeah. But... Nicotine is the thing that gives you the head rush, is the thing that's addictive. That's the... You just yeah. think, you say tobacco because it also includes the tar, which is a very harmful gotcha. part of it. Okay, so alcohol and tobacco obviously are two drugs that are legal. There's also caffeine. We don't mention that here. I, I think it's limited to drugs with meaningful negative impacts, right? Yeah, which somehow caffeine kind of gets away yeah. with. Paracetamol also. <laughs> <laughs> People are banned from buying alcohol under the age of 18 in the UK. There are some exceptions in a pub at the age of 16 if you're having a meal or you're under supervision. That's a that's a, a classic trope from a couple shows like uh, In Between Us. But yes. yes. Um, <laughs> Order a carvery. Yes. Um, uh, but interestingly, and this is something I've discussed quite a lot with people, uh, in America, the age is 21. Right? Yeah, which is strange, isn't it? Which is very, and actually worth noting, uh, you know, we kind of take as a given here, like culturally, like <laughs> we take as a given, you know, alcohol is a, is a permitted drug. And it's also a really interesting point of comparison because anytime that something is illegal, it's like, should that be illegal if alcohol is legal? That's it. Um, right? And I, I, you know, you hear people say if alcohol was discovered now, there's would it be, no way it yeah, would be illegal. Yeah, right? there's no way. Well, there's no way it would be in the treated the way we treat it. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is, don't forget, America had a period of prohibition. Mm. And America has a significantly higher drinking age, despite having a significantly, significantly, meaningfully lower driving age. Mm. Right? In some places, I think you can start being a learner driver at like 15 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, partially, that's a statement of how much more reliant they are in the US. But I mean, if you grew up in the UK outside of a major city, you also need a car. And I think it's really interesting then that basically people come to this age where, I mean, 21 is old, and you can kind of see this actually in some European countries, the places where they don't wean people into this culture slowly, whereas, you know, somewhere like France, Germany, people are drinking at home, people are drinking wine with a meal, like yeah, in a reasonable way. From the age of like three. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of don't have the same binge drinking culture that we have. I wonder how much that is causal, but that's just me kind of throwing stuff out there. There are cultural norms around it, right? Yeah. But it, I, it could also be that we just have a strong binge drinking cultural norm in the UK. Yeah. And then also when you think about the US and frat parties and stuff, that's also true. But mm-hmm. I can also say having met, you know, at the age of like 2021, 20, having met some US people who think that they're crazy drinkers or whatever, you, you're then as a UK person like, oof. maybe we have a problem (laughs) it really puts into perspective how aggressive binge drinking culture is in the uk so alcohol and tobacco uh oh the laws on tobacco really quickly um tobacco sales and electronic cigarettes e-cigarettes they're banned for under 18s uh you can't buy them if you're under 18 or for someone under 18 or smoke in a private enclosed vehicle carrying someone under 18 didn't know that one that's interesting Mm. anyway tobacco is legal but that's another one that like is obviously extremely harmful is also extremely addictive yeah, uh, nicotine is actually more addictive than heroin chemically. Not to mention that actually 
this is kind of a personal opinion. As far as most of the other ones go, I can kind of get the intuitive argument of like, look, this is something that's imparting some kind of like beneficial psychological, physiological thing for me, right? Whereas I, I feel like the, okay, you get a little bit of a head rush on cigarettes, but the main benefit of cigarettes is relieving the cravings that you've developed from smoking cigarettes and mm. trying to look cool. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the latter, okay, maybe this is verging into what I was saying earlier, where it's like, should we be telling people what they should and shouldn't, you know, pose it, imposing moralistic values rather than letting people choose? Maybe. But um, I, my point is, I kind of feel like cigarettes is a bit of a pointless one. And again, if they were discovered now, would it be legal? Probably mm. not. Yeah, probably not. And I, the point that those, uh, this alcohol and cigarettes comparison make is just that uh, you might, it might be very tempting. And I think this is, you know, this is an attitude we've taken issue with before where people are like, because it's the law, it must be moral. Mm. Or because it's, you know, because it's illegal, it must be immoral. Yes. That's, that's such a flawed attitude. I mean, you'd be tempted if you just took the base of the law now, you'd say certain drugs are controlled, presumably because mm. they're more dangerous. Therefore, alcohol and tobacco must be less dangerous. Yeah, and which is not the truth. Evidence not the truth. that that's not the truth um, And in fact, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that, like, it actually shapes our cultural perspective on these things, right? Mm. I think the majority of particularly children, if you ask them what are drugs, even if you, if you like a lot of them, if you told them alcohol is a drug, they would not understand or disagree with you. Mm. Maybe some kids who've actually done some GCSE biology or whatever at that hmm. point. So 16, 17 year olds, you know, you'd say it and they'd be like, oh yeah, well, technically. Mm. Um, but that's not what, when, when someone says, you know, drugs, that's not what they mean, right? Mm. The, the, the fact that these aren't even thought of as drugs is part of the problem. That kind of speaks to how deeply embedded that fact is. And what you said with rules, I also find this a lot with sports. It's so funny how people think of things as like, sac one, sacrosanct, and two, they kind of think of this kind of like platonic world of forms. Mm. And that's where the laws come from, rather than a kind of random mishmash largely determined by historical coincidences. And, and, and like, in the case of drugs, largely like racism right i mean yep. uh, you know we won't go into the details reefer madness literally yeah a lot of the drug laws were inherited from sort of former racist policies and they've just kind of stuck around mm. uh, whereas alcohol and smoking tobacco have been mm. around for so long that you know apart from the period of prohibition that you mentioned earlier yeah uh, it would be it'd be it would just take such a shift to illegalize them now. But the harm thing's really interesting. I mean, we actually have some really interesting stats on drugs harms in general. In 2020, there were four and a half thousand drug poisoning related deaths in England and Wales, according to the ONS, two thirds of which were for drug misuse. So that's 3,000 people dying from drugs. That mm. sounds bad. However, we have some other stats here on alcohol and tobacco. In 2019, so not 2020, not a direct comparison, but there were 7,500 deaths in England and Wales related to alcohol. I don't know exactly how they're defining an alcohol-related yeah, it, death. It, like, but if you're drunk and get hit by a car crossing the road, is that an alcohol death or is it just like acute? Just unclear. Yeah, unclear. And if we, if we take it at face value, you've yeah. got you know more than it's twice as many deaths death. from alcohol. Also... From well, I mean, one thing to consider, this is something I know anecdotally or I know the stats for, but I couldn't tell you in that specific study you're talking about. How many of those drug misuse deaths that you mentioned are largely impacted by the fact that people couldn't safely access yeah. clean drugs, right? How many of those deaths were because of some crap that was mixed in with what they bought? Very probably, right? You've got to imagine that's going to be a, a significant effect. Anyway, 7,000 for alcohol, 7,500 that was. It's 70,000 in the UK for uh, smoking. Cigarettes. Um, and yep. obviously that's because there are links there for lung cancer and heart yep. disease. And, and these are sort of longer term deaths than yep. I imagine, you know, yep. a lot of these drug misuses probably happen fairly quickly. Stat but, here. Yeah. According to WHO, more than 7 million deaths a year are the result of direct tobacco use with yeah. another 1.2 million from secondhand smoke. So that's, glo yeah. that's global. It's, it's definitely not just a harm thing is no. the point when it comes to how we set the law. No. So why should we even think about legalizing drugs then? Uh, given that drugs that are currently legalized are killing people, you know, so following from what we're saying, 
it sounds like we should be banning more drugs, not letting more yeah. of them be legal, right? The, the two that are legal are killing a lot more people than the yeah. ones that aren't. Which yeah. actually, I mean, that that's may more, be a surprise a, to some listeners. That but. may be a surprise to some, but that's also a factor of access, right? Yeah, like more people true. drink alcohol than, uh, so as a percentage fewer people. Um, but given that people are dying, why are we talking about legalizing more or at least decriminalizing them? Some really good stories on this. Uh, and I think one that many listeners may be familiar with is the case of the Portugal <laughs> epidemic. And this was in the um, 1980s. Uh, and this is shocking, but as many as 1% of Portugal's population at that time got hooked on heroin. 1%, yeah. literally one in 100 people. One in 100 people. And we were saying this, it's crazy to think, like the truth is, particularly when it comes to problems like this, the society is stratified, right? Mm. If, for example, you're relatively well off and university educated, you may not know anyone who's, mm. who's hooked on heroin. That means that there are communities where the stat is probably more like 10 to 50 percent it is and uh, so in the portugal case um a, a lot of it actually it sort of started in this little fishing town called oliao which is i i find it's it, it started in one place well because i i've been there so that's i was reading this whole sort of history of it and i was like oh my god i've literally been to that town it's this cute little fishing village and as many as one in ten people there were addicted to heroin so about 10 percent, literally as you say and that was the sort of community okay maybe the 50 really... percent part was too well but no but then the community of those types of people oh in that town god, yeah would have been about 50%. There, there was no way you could have lived in Oliao at that time and not known or been affected by somebody yep. who was who was, um, who was affected by this. Anyway, what's really interesting is the Portuguese approach, the route they took. So at the time, obviously, you've got people calling for like tougher laws. How do we crack down on this? This is mm. becoming a genuine sort of social issue of massive proportions. And what they ended up doing was decriminalizing drugs. Yeah, kind of the opposite approach to going harder. Yeah. And over time, it, it worked. And the numbers of those addicted fell. And the reason, by and large, seemed to be basically once people were addicted they had no healthy recourse to seek help they'd rely on sort of family doctors who were prepared to kind of go around the law to be like okay i'll help you i'll try and get you access to these treatments etc yeah but basically people were getting hooked heroin probably goes without saying is, is meant to be extremely addictive and actually so people, not as addictive as nicotine really i think chemically not as addictive as nicotine. wow i didn't know that yeah but then okay this is something we'll talk about i'm sure at some point during this part of the addictiveness of heroin tends to be not just the fact that it is literally chemically addictive but also the fact that one going off it is very hard mm. like physically horrible and two it's kind of marrying you know heroin isn't the kind of drug you take for fun and then oh oops i'm chemically addicted mm -hmm. kind of like smoking a cigarette in the smoking area at a club or whatever mm -hmm. you know you've seen enough 18 year old friends to see that happen right mm -hmm. heroin is more like i am in a bloody terrible place mm -hmm. i'm not finding emotional or or literal like health support and so i'm now using this product that then becomes also a psychological escape yeah. so the addictiveness is not just the chemical component decriminalization what does that mean it means that you maintain the illegality of an act, but you are not criminalized for it. Meaning that you won't be put in prison if you're caught with drugs. There are no criminal criminal charges then associated with drug use and possession, but this does not mean that there's going to be advertising for it on the TV. This is quite common, I think most people know. I think it's, I believe it's the case in the UK. Like if I get caught with a little bit of rec clearly recreational use drugs, nothing happens, maybe you get a warning. Maybe right? a fine or something. Maybe a warning or a fine. There, you wouldn't even get that because it's decriminalized, mm -hmm. right? But whereas, whereas if you were supplying... If you were supplying yeah. or having an amount that like implied that you were helping to supply it, then yes, that then it would still be illegal, mm -hmm. right? So it's what it's actually doing is saying, if you need to get help, you can get help without being afraid of basically outing yourself as a criminal. But on the other hand, you still give yourself the room to pursue the actual mm. criminals. And this links to a really nice quote that we have on the Portugal story, which says this, Portugal's policy rests on three pillars. One... There is no such thing as a soft or hard drug, only healthy and unhealthy relationships with drugs. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. 
Two, that an individual's unhealthy relationship with drugs often conceals frayed relationships with loved ones, with the world around them, and with themselves, which is exactly what you're saying there about heroin. It's like, you know, there's normally fulfillment issues underlying this, and drugs become a coping mechanism, and that then in turn becomes an unhealthy relationship with drugs. And yeah. that's where you get problems. And three, that the eradication of all drugs is an impossible goal, which yeah. I think is a really pragmatic point that probably is the theme that underlies our entire uh, yes, this is, this comes back to the policy thing. And it's a little bit like the argument with UBI, I find. like mm. A lot of people don't like the idea of giving people money for free, but don't realize that the cost of administering so much government stuff around benefits means that there is a potential, or certainly like a wedge of people for whom just giving them the money and not judging how they use it, even if morally or values-based you don't like that, could just be more effective. And the analogy you're making there is that even if you're uncomfortable with the ideas of drugs being legal and yeah. accessible, it could just be more effective to yeah. do that and set up the infrastructure around it that gives people support when they do become addicted yeah. rather than being like, we're trying to stamp it out and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, so to pretend that it's possible for it not to be there. Yeah. Um, so so one thing I mentioned with decriminalization is that, you know, it's legal to have it. It's not that you're suddenly going to see it advertised on TV, right? Mm -hmm. This is where we come into legalization. In order for that to happen, we're then talking about drugs, not just being, okay, you're not a criminal, you can come and ask for help, which again, all that we're saying there is a lot of connotations beyond the, the context of just recreational use. I'm using mm -hmm. air quotation marks there, right? There's a very interesting NYU professor. I can't remember his name, sorry, but if you type in NYU professor heroin, he'll come up. <laughs> really interesting guy. And he, he makes a lot of arguments around drugs. He says, look, like Adderall and meth are basically the same. Why are we treating people who take them so differently? One, the understanding of the difference between a meth head and an Adderall user is the difference between use and abuse, mm -hmm. right? Or misuse. And the other thing he says is that he actually recreationally uses heroin and it's possible, wow. right? The problem is just that like the subset of people who tend to access this and the reason they're using this particular drug is so based on the other problems you were saying, right? Yeah. Um, and, and really, like as a, as a mid-20s person who lives in a major city in the Western world, I can see this. I can see, I can see the difference. It's funny because on the one hand, it's a racial and like elitist issue that people will say, where it's like, okay, why is it that when a rich person uses Coke it's, uh, or, or drinks a lot, it's like... It's a party. It's, it's a party or having fun. But when a poor person does it, it's, uh, it's a problem. Mm. Uh, and actually, part of it is that like, it, it's the reasons that you're using it, right? Like if you... And I don't mean this to justify that difference, right? But understanding that people can use versus abuse things. And that generally, yeah, like if you have your life pretty well put together and you occasionally do those things with the mental knowledge that you're doing that for fun and you have other things in your life that mean that you do not want to feel shit all the time from come downs and mm. hangovers and whatever else, it is possible to use these things, not abuse them. Mm. And that the problem is more when people are in life situations where they are using this as an escape, which, to be fair, has a high overlap with financial circumstance. But it's not but, necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. There's you plenty, see celebrity addiction cases. Plenty of celebrity addiction cases, because they're not, ha like, the, something for a different episode, but there's plenty of reasons to think that they're not socially fulfilled, happy people, because mm -hmm. it's hard to have a quote-unquote normal and socially enriched life when yeah. you're living like that. And, that. and that comes back to the sort of healthy and unhealthy relationship with substances, doesn't it? And mm -hmm. it's interesting, this is a really soft analogy, but you could say very similar things about fast food. Yeah, you know? exactly. It has similar exactly. addictive properties. And, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying fast food from time to time. Mm. Plenty of people who are extremely health conscious probably do that. Yeah. But when you become dependent on that, when that becomes your only source of nutrition. Exactly. That's a great analogy, right? Yeah. And actually, again, if you actually look at the statistics, right, the correlation between um, your wealth and the way that you eat mm -hmm. is unfortunately pretty clear, right? Like mm. people who are less well off, partially because of 
lack of access to affordable, healthy food, mm -hmm. but partially also because searching for, for some fulfillment and sustenance. That sounds a bit too grandiose, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Searching for like a, a hit of pleasure in an affordable place kind of creates that overlap where people in worse situations tend to overindulge in those things. I'm not phrasing that well, but I think, I hope that you guys are listening to that with the nuance to say that I'm not saying that in a judgy way, I'm saying that in like a, when times are tougher, it's harder to resist those things. I mean, it, it's partly an affordability thing and, and, yeah. and, and partly like, yeah, making yeah. your life easy. And, That's uh, not the case with drugs though. <laughs> <laughs> drugs tend not to be the affordable option when you're not that well off. <laughs> so should we legalize or decriminalize drugs? Yeah, following on from that decriminalization argument, if we're talking about not just decriminalizing, we're talking like, hey, you know what? Maybe in the right context, well-adjusted people can actually take these drugs and still have a normal nine to five and still be a generally happy person. They're just careful about how they use it is in a fair way. I like to think, you know, certainly I've had problems where, problems, I've had times in my life where like, I drank more around uni period. Most people have that. But I like to think that now I'm quite like a level-headed drinker. Like I don't drink that often. I don't drink that much when I do drink mm -hmm. with exceptions. But with exceptions that I know I'm making. Yeah. You know, special occasions, etc. Stag dues. Stag dues. <laughs> uh, we went into in the last two weeks. You know, you can see how like maybe that same idea could be applied to other things. And then, you know, why is it just Bacardi as ads? Why couldn't, why if there are people like the NYU professor who can take heroin, why don't we have an infrastructure that allows people to do that in a safe way? I mean, I'm not advocating that. I, I haven't tried heroin, but I kind of can't see a reason why we have one and not the other. I have a question for you. Legalization or decriminalization? Yeah. I think one of the big things that um, either move would make, and I'm not sure whether there's a line between them. Mm -hmm. One of the big things would be, uh, at least with decriminalizing things, you can provide better education. You can mm -hmm. potentially... Well, uh, that's not mutually exclusive. You could provide better education anyway. Yeah, you could provide better education anyway. I guess what I'm looking for an answer to is the line of like, when you're decriminalizing stuff, and when you're legalizing stuff, which which of these features do you add? So one of the things I think would be really powerful would be, one, you can introduce better support. I think you could do that in both cases. Right? You can do that in both cases, yeah. Yeah, cool. Better quality of substance. That's probably in the legalization case only, right? As well, in no, regulating no, no, no. the actual supply of the, the, yeah. the, the drugs. No, no, because to be fair, as part of decriminalization, people will pr provide to heroin addicts um, like I don't testing know. Kits or something? No, no. They, well, they'll apply. They'll give them testing kits, but they'll also actually supply them with with heroin that they that is safe. Like oh, that wow. that is a thing that exists. Cool, but is um, that only in a rehab situation? That's not saying like I, yeah, the I, general the, supply. Of yeah, stuff the, you the only buy pro, the, the only problem is I think that that's then with strings attached. I think it's yeah. like okay as 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 a, as a vehicle to getting you into a system that's pulling yeah. you out of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure, but I mean, certainly in the case of legalizing it, definitely would be. I mean, you, you would you would then have controlled substances, which, by the way, you know, the, the big argument is like one that dis, um, disempowers, is that a word? Yep. Disempowers illegal drug trade. Yep, takes away all the people involved market. in it. And two, solves one of the biggest issues, certainly biggest health issues. What the hell are my drugs cut with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. Like, how, do, how can I trust this person who's chosen to be a criminal who's selling me these things? All sorts of stories about, you know, you get like cocaine that's cut with brick dust and, and mm. stuff like that. Oh, much worse than that, like rat poison and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really grim stuff. And then the third thing, which I think you don't get from decriminalizing, but you do get from legalizing, is tax revenue, which is yeah. potentially massive. Yeah. So that's another thing. And and to clarify, I mean, that's that's one of those, it's like that abortion policy thing mm. I said earlier, where like that almost, the fact that there's a benefit to be got out of it almost makes it more uncomfortable, mm. right? Because this is where that that kind of like gut feeling value sense and the policy sense, and the policy kind, sense of kind of contrast. clash. But I mean, the fact is, okay, let's say we sequester that tax revenue purely to deal with the issues of the thing, then it feels a little less uncomfortable, right? So let's, let's talk through some of the moral perspectives on why you should legalize or decriminalize, right? I think one of the most famous ones is uh, Mill's approach. Uh, he declared that the only reason that we have for limiting another's freedom 
is if she he she she is uh, sorry the more the philosophical the, the writing convention um is to say she if she might harm others so for example mill would probably agree that it is right that drink driving is illegal but for the reason of the harm that this poses to others or he might agree that not smoking in an enclosed car with an under 18 year old maybe even an, uh, any non-smoker is wrong because of the harm of secondhand smoke to them so this is the harm principle and yeah it's basically as you just said the harm principle goes along the lines of if there's any risk that you might harm others then we have a right to inflict a free uh, infringe yeah. uh one more trying to say you can yeah, curtail others freedom yeah. if they're going to harm others but if they're going to harm themselves yeah you know that's that's kind of up to them what's interesting with drugs is i don't know if that sort of applies consistently i think i think it's well, a very fair way of assessing this i think this is where we'll we'll, we'll come to this. this is the positive negative still it is yeah. okay so we'll come to this so according to this the harm principle according to mill one's own good either physical or moral is not a sufficient warrant to then apply limitations, right? So I can't say the way that I treat a child, I'm not letting you do this, but it's for your own good. That can't be a justification. Uh, the fact that smoking a cigarette is bad for your health, or even that drinking and driving puts your own life in danger is not a good enough grounds to limit another's liberty. So for example, we talked about cycling through red lights, right? This isn't 100% accurate, but like one of the reasons that you might say cycling through a red light is very morally distinct to driving through a red light is because when you're driving through a red light, you're significantly risking others' lives. Whereas when you're cycling through a red light, you're actually only risking your own life. Or maybe, yeah. Maybe. The, the balance there is very, very heavily shifted. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Strictly, it's not 100%, but yeah, you get my point. Yeah, it seems to be because of the harm principle. It would only be justifiable to keep drugs illegal if it were the case that it contradicted the harm principle, which it doesn't seem immediately obvious that it would. If this is, again, case, yeah. hinging on that recreational... like, If this is the case, then it does not seem that for those like Mill who want to preserve liberty, that it would not be justifiable to keep drugs illegal. Interestingly there, though, we were talking about one conception of liberty, and we specifically said for one's own good is not a good reason, right? But then when you think about... And, and there's a counter-argument to this, which we've already talked about, which is the kind of, you know, hey, maybe addiction is filling a hole that's like mm-hmm. not about the drug, and it is about other problems and you know those people are likely to fill it with some other thing that is legal like alcohol if you don't mm-hmm. give them that drug um but when you think about something that is highly addictive like heroin and the context in which people tend to try and use it you suddenly feel a little less comfortable with the argument i can't restrict someone's freedom even if it's for their own good and and it starts to also be a little unclear how you'd even talk about that right so there are actually examples which are designed to demonstrate what it means to be free, right? So you, you said there were two concepts of freedom. There's positive and there's negative. We'll define that very quickly. So it was first put forward by uh, Isaiah Berlin. <laughs> Basically, negative freedom is freedom from, and positive freedom is freedom to. to. Yeah. Uh, so negative freedom is literally, am I being stopped from doing things, right? Like, if I want to go uh, across the street, is there a barrier stopping me crossing? A, right. lot of, a lot of COVID laws were negative freedoms. Yes. It was like, you literally can't do this. You will be punished if you try to. Mm-hmm. Uh, things will be closed. Things will be barred yeah. off, etc. Right? That's negative freedom. Positive freedom is the more kind of amorphous and difficult one. It's the idea that you can freely choose to do things in your own interest without something else clouding it, right? Uh, and so there's, there's quite a famous uh, example or thought experiment that kind of puts this forward. Um, but quickly before that, this is the classic kind of kids thing where like you are helping people. Oh, you know, actually, here's, here's a nice way I've heard of it before, okay? Um, imagine you're standing in a room and there are five doors that you can choose to go to, right? Mm-hmm. Negative liberty is not having any of the doors locked, right? You can open any of those doors. Positive liberty is knowing which of the doors you should want to go to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is knowing the right way for you to be true to yourself or like achieve the things that you want to do and be happy, right? Okay. So um, it requires some sort of information there. It requires some sort of understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. In the doors case, it's like what's behind the doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like imagine you know what's behind all the doors or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, imagine the, the doors are metaphors for choices in your life. Sure. Right. So one is like, I'm free to make any choice. The other is 
but I have the power to make the right choices, right? Mm -hmm. There is not something stopping me. There is not something limiting me, being like taken away from me. And so a good example to make yeah. this really clear is... How, how does this apply to drugs? Well, okay. Let's imagine... We said those doors are metaphors for choices. Let's take a really arbitrary, simple example that actually Martha's helped supply here. Let's say you're choosing to go to a shop, mm -hmm. right? It's two shops. These, these are your two doors, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say the shops are equally fine. And, you know, normally you would choose arbitrarily. You know, maybe you feel like switching up, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you're a smoker and let's say that one of them has cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Now you always choose that door, mm -hmm. right? Okay, all of the things being equal, that's not that big a deal. Now, let's say that the one that has the cigarettes is actually the worst shop. It's further away. Yep. The staff aren't very nice. The selection of other goods that they have there isn't as good. You're buying lower quality mm -hmm. bread and meat because it's not as good a shop. But right? it still has the cigarettes. But it has the cigarettes, so you're choosing it. Suddenly, you're making choices captive to your addiction mm. to nicotine rather than making the best choices for yourself and this is what you were saying earlier, so this is it the, feels like your choice is suddenly less free yes it's like you technically can make any choice you want you can technically go to any shop but you are choosing the quote-unquote wrong thing for mm -hmm. your own interest granted that's a very paternalistic approach because you need a conception of what's the right thing mm -hmm. it's just easy to apply this when someone's addicted to a drug yeah. and so the classic case is then heroin kind of reaches the extreme where it's like every decision is how do i get this is not just you know if i use heroin but if i'm addicted like as a homeless person for example every decision suddenly becomes how can i maximize my access to heroin in the next 24 hours or shorter mm. Really interesting. Really quickly, one other thing to touch on. We discussed it briefly, but the distinction between recreational use and a non-recreational use. Uh, a really clear example would be, as we mentioned earlier, doping. So there's some sort of professional benefit to it, right? Doping, I think, is clear, but just to define it, that would be taking performance-enhancing drugs. Performance-enhancing is the bit that kind of gives it the definition. You see athletes, as sports people, do this to enhance their performance the uh, moral line here is that it's it's generally considered cheating or at least it's outlawed in the sports and yeah. therefore you know the now, sense of doping is wrong now here's a funny thing about it and you can think about certain sports where this isn't the case to highlight it right there's a kind of circular logic here where doping is cheating cheating is wrong so doping is wrong right mm -hmm. but the decision for doping to be cheating is an arbitrary decision yeah right? and and I would potentially argue in the context that realistically we've seen enough, you know, we've seen Icarus, you know, we, we know about the Russians and the Chinese mm -hmm. uh, just generalize sports teams or nations, sports activities. People are doping, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe the only people really being cheated are the people who are trying to follow the rules. Yeah. Right. So my question is then, are we actually serving the sports by saying that it's uh, illegal to use them at all? Perhaps instead, what we should be doing is taking a more measured approach where we set limits on how much people use it. Granted, then then people would just cheat that. But then perhaps, yeah, perhaps, perhaps the risk of people going above the limits. I mean, yes, but perhaps it would then generate a circumstance. I don't know this for sure, but you know, hey, maybe there's some policy in between. Someone who knows it better could tell me where you can not just outright ban it, maybe set limits, and then because that's being monitored, it's actually maybe it's easier to make sure people are within limits than is to see whether people are using it at all yeah i don't know whether that's the case but that's the kind of thing where i'm saying like look maybe there is some sort of policy decision that actually sits somewhere in the middle and isn't quite as black and white one we talked about before once um you and me was uh what if they introduced like a doping category and a non-doping category? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the other thing is that some places, you know, there's not a doping category and a non-doping category, but it's kind of implied bodybuilding and natural bodybuilding. <laughs> it's like, it's, well, technically all of them, you're not supposed to be taking drugs, but we all know what the natural means, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, not not, yeah. A, not a particularly strong moral component to that one, but an, yeah. interesting, an interesting sort of side uh, yeah. tangent. But I mean, okay, this is... this. Uh, 
The other question, though, on this and the doping stuff is, what about athletes' health? Are you then basically telling people that they have to take these in order to compete? But that's what's happening anyway. Yeah. I think that the perfect analogy is a bit like sex in a very religious school or the teaching of sex in a very religious school, right? Okay, fine. Let's suppose that their morals are correct. I don't agree with them, but fine. For the sake of this argument, let's say you're a Catholic teacher and you don't want your kids to be having teenage sex. Mm-hmm. What a joy or to use or you or, or using contraception, right? But welcome to the real world. People are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Suddenly, the policy versus moralism approach would suddenly, or, or the utilitarianism versus moralism approach, is like, look, this is going to happen. Is it better that I teach these kids how to use contraception and how to be safe and accept that some of them use it, or do I continue to kind of close my eyes and say this isn't happening? And anyone who's la, doing la, it, la, yeah. la, la. <laughs> and anyone who's doing it, you need to pretend that you're not doing it, yeah. and you need to hide the fact that you're doing it, and basically actually make seeking help for any issues yeah it creates more it dangerous. makes it so much so, harder for people to reach out exactly when they need it. so is it better for doping to be normalized and for us to understand or, or, or it to be more widely understood how to do it and also you know hey let's let, let's also think about wider public implications what if every time that there's like a topless guy on some magazine or whatever or a big actor in a marvel movie by the way guys spoiler all of them take steroids <laughs> um yeah, what if what, like, what if, if actually, that was signposted? What if that was signposted? So then people like I'm not saying that, you know, then maybe there's an argument that more people want to do it. Maybe there's an argument people will be like, oh, okay, this is an unrealistic standard. Right. And people will just kind of internalize that and make their own decision about whether they want to take the health risks of using performance enhancers, but they'll also have access to the information to do it in a safer way. Yeah. It's certainly more information I think can only be a good thing in that respect, mm. can't it? And that's yep. uh, that relates. That's really key. Um cool. So and I think we've basically reached the end of the discussion points and the question remains should we legalize recreational drugs so my opinion is that by and large yes i mm-hmm. think there was a really good piece by i want to say a doctor nutting on this i would say there are many drugs that should be legalized i don't know necessarily that all drugs should be legalized right i thought heroin was a clear one that like oh even even if we legalize lots of drugs don't legalize that one that's not very clear right i think that something like cocaine the risk or like the impact on certain communities maybe as in like the people who actually have to make it mm. uh, and the drug cartels connected them. On the one hand is a reason to try and like keep it closed. On the other hand, it would disempower them if we just made it legal. Yeah. So the main thing I think is that like, okay, things like MDMA, right? Pretty well tested, pretty safe, can't really overdose, can mess with your hormones though, should probably be legal, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I'd rather than go through case by case. Yeah, we don't, we don't need a, I a think specific that, list. But I, the, the important thing is that more than is currently the case should probably be legal and the ones that aren't legal should have reasonable substitutes that are legal to kind of justify that and also i I think the key argument is like people are going to do this stuff you may as well one make sure it's safe two make sure it's the information is available on how to do it safely the first part being like don't let it get be cut by other stuff and three disempower the illegal organizations Mm. who are providing these things and actually generating lots of crime in the process and reap reap those mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market tax benefits instead i'd strongly agree i think my gut sense again without going through sort of list by list would be decriminalize use of all drugs because yes. at least that way oh, I, sorry i didn't mention that i definitely agree with that yeah decriminalize all things because at least that way even if people are taking drugs that are relatively more risky there should be infrastructure in place for them to be able to easily go for help without shame, stigma, et cetera. 
there must be a good number on the list that actually legalizing would be highly beneficial for. Marijuana is the obvious one that people are talking about quite widely and probably will happen in the next 10 years. In the um, UK, it's already certainly in the UK. US. Yeah, and it's already happening in the US. And I could see that argument being made for other drugs as well. And I think you're right. I mean, I think the most compelling reason for it is exactly as you say. And it's like um, it's like that guy said in his TED talk, the, the one that's like, we should end the war on drugs. Drugs are something that's, that aren't going to go away. I mean, we tried banning alcohol in prohibition. We've tried banning drugs for decades now and drug use persists. Therefore, accepting that's the case, it's better to make it well-informed and widely available for people to make better decisions and for people to have support in place so that they don't get into trouble with use of these substances. And we can try and regulate for an attitude of having healthier relationships with these substances than pushing it all underground into the hands of criminals and uh, creating potentially quite a lot of problems. So I think yeah, I think, Legalize it. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh yeah, I, I'm probably... not quite ready for for there to be heroin ads on the TV, but everything Absolutely should be not. <laughs> everything should be everything should be decriminalized and a lot more drugs should be actually openly legal and, and yeah. like sold recreationally. I would go as far as say, yeah, like a drug like MDMA probably fits in that category. And I think it's interesting because I think probably the first thing people who are uncomfortable with this would think would be, but you make it more accessible, then more people are going to do it. The fact that it's illegal is probably what's stopping a lot of people from doing it in the first place. While that may be true, I think the moral component of all of this is as discussed. Mm. It's the harm principle. It's, yeah. you know. I make decisions that are bad for my health all the time. Yeah. I know lots of friends who are, who are very anti-drugs and yet will happily binge drink to blackoutness on yeah. a regular basis and which they don't is, which is and it's, it's more a factor of socialization that they don't see how similar those two things are yeah rather than some sort of moral thought or who eat ridiculously unhealthily and mm. you know not do their bodies any favors in exactly space. my body's a temple <laughs> except <laughs> i eat mcdonald's <laughs> a temple to mcdonald's yeah <laughs> temple to capitalism but i think yeah i think the moral components are you know harm to yourself and others i think things like banning drink driving goes without saying in its obviousness because well, that contradicts the harm actually principle. drink driving is a really good example of like to the extent that you have concerns with the outcomes of use of a drug mm -hmm. you can actually pinpoint them yeah totally like when drink driving is a problem you don't ban drinking you ban drink driving yeah yeah right? and the use of heavy machinery <laughs> yeah and the use of heavy machinery <laughs> so cool. i think that's really important um uh but i think yeah i i think by taking this thing into the public sphere taking it out of the hands of criminal organizations you can make it a lot safer for the people who are participating in its use and i think ultimately that's probably much healthier for society and i'd love to see stats i think we did come across a stat that said actually marijuana use in the netherlands for example when was, was down among local communities I, well, it, the stat that we read i think was that it's some of the lowest in europe yeah i don't remember if we could confirm whether it went down after legalization yeah but i can see an argument that like that normalizing something leads to like more moderate and reasonable use i can i can see that yeah and i, I think it'd be very interesting is i mean alcohol culturally is probably like the go-to drug we didn't really talk about that aspect of it but that's a big theme of the ted talk is drugs alter your state of consciousness and alcohol really is the yeah. only like socially accepted avenue yeah. for doing that despite the fact that there seems to be a very natural drive to want to alter your state of consciousness like uh, other animals do it mm. there are other animals will ferment and drink alcoholic things i mean there are chimps doing that there are <laughs> birds that do that <laughs> lots of animals seek to uh, yeah. there's there are turtles who eat certain jellyfish because it gives them a neurological effect well makes them high yeah pretty much that's why I crush in Nemo is like, whoa, dude. Seriously. Turtles get high, bro. Totally. Cool, man. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. As always, guys, write in. Tell us what you're, what you're thinking. Tell us if you agree or disagree. And we'll be back next week with another episode on the same theme. Thank you very much.